Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. And I'm Brad. The co-host. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Thank I love you it. for making sure everybody knows yes, that you are co, the co 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 host. No, just the co-host. Just the co-host. Yes, I'm I'm not going for the whole just the co. No, that's actually a demotion, I think, if you're the co co-host. Oh, that would be my co-host if I had one. Oh yeah. yeah. But you don't. Nope, not big enough yet. <laughs> one day I hope to achieve one day your, that greatness. Your, yeah, life aspirations. Yes. Good for you. We Hashtag all need to have goals. goals. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> so basic of you. No, it's good. <laughs> all right. So today we are here with Carol Shiro Greenwald. Um, she is a coach, consultant, and strategist. What else, Carol? You're a little bit of everything, right? Yeah, I'm an author and a speaker, and my <laughs> friends say that I'm a guru, but I don't really think so. No, oh, I think you probably are. I would say guru. Yeah, pretty good. impressive background, yeah. I, th- I think Thanks. you have a good sense of humor, too, so I'm going to throw a comedian in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys didn't Thanks. get to hear what, what went down before we started recording. Definitely think she's a comedian, too. So, Carol, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into today's episode? Okay, so basically, for the last 20 years, I've had my own consulting firm, and I do strategic planning for small law firms. I help solos learn how to become a firm, the difference between doing it yourself and leading other people, because sometimes you don't understand that that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. I coach people on things as simple as an elevator speech. And as complex as figuring out who their market is and getting into that market and understanding that market. I work a lot with people on body language, communication skills, all the intangibles, because sometimes lawyers think that what they sell is the the legal product. But we know that's not true. No, that is definitely not true. Exactly. So I I work with them over. um, I try to make a minimum of four months because they have to not only learn it, but practice it enough that it becomes a habit as opposed to the old habit. So I work with them and I just love what I do because when I see somebody who was like a B plus become an <laughs> A plus, it's, it's wonderful. It feels good. It does feel good. Yes. I always say that I don't work with people who, you know, are poor in a sense. I mean, they can afford me. Yeah. So yeah. that means they've been successful but have they been as successful as they could be? Have they been as happy at doing it as they could be? Yeah. And if not, here I am. Yeah. I, I like that. Little Mary yeah. Sunshine. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that you throw in the, are they as happy as they could be? That's an important yes. part. Yeah, because most people aren't. Let's shines be honest. Shines through. It yeah. shines through when you do it well. And I think it, it's really cool that you actually get to see your work through. So you know, a lot of times you come to work day to day, and you know, whether you're working on a case, it could be it could take years before that case is closed. Or on our end, you know, we work on projects that could be months, years long. But um, you know, every four months, give or take, you get to see some sort of. Um, What's the word I'm looking for, Brad? You get to see your project. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You get to see your project close. You get to see how that person got better and how things have changed. I think that's really cool, too. Thanks. And now I'm over here focused on my. yeah, my uh, body language, making sure that I'm like <laughs> facing her. I don't have my arms crossed, staring at her when she talks. 
You have your butt against the back of the chair? Uh, I actually I do, do, but only because the shirt's a little tight. So if I slouch, you can see my rolls. <laughs> oh, that's too no, much we information. Because they're hidden by the computer. <laughs> Good thing we're on radio here. I know, right? Right? Or on uh, just audio. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, Carol, you have uh, written two books. Right? Very I actually have written four books. Four. I've written two for the ABA that wow, matter. Wow, that's fantastic. Four more than I have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I just love it. I love the whole process of, of learning it enough to spit it back out, of interviewing people. Both of both of the ABA books are, are include a lot interviews with people who know it better than I do. And I just love that whole process. Yeah. But I think you're probably great at your job. Obviously, you know that. But I love how engaging you are and how real you are. And I think that probably it helps your books. It helps your consulting. It helps you working with the people you work with. Because, you know, it's nice to have someone who's just real and right. who's, who's not. Well, I try to give them, you know, in the books, um, I try to make it easy for them. I give them um, charts and and forms and things to fill out so that they can do it because nobody wants to hear what you think unless it helps them, right? Yeah, of course. So I can think anything I want, but if I can't tie it to my reader, why should they bother? So both of them are just filled with that and filled with examples of what real people have done, real lawyers. You know, I always say there's lawyers and humans Mm -hmm. because did you ever hear of a non-lawyer? I mean, you know, like a non-accountant, a non-doctor. I guess a non-doctor is a nurse. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's... Something like that. But no, so humans, you know, need to understand that it's you know, what the lawyer's talking about and what's going on. And, and so that's what I do. Yeah. And right. the lawyer needs to be able to feel like the advice you're giving is achievable and it's something they can yes. do. It's not too far mm-hmm. out there. Nope. So quick question, too, before we dive into one of your books. How actually did you get into the legal industry? Um, I fell into it. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm an ex-academic. I have a PhD in political science and comparative legal systems. I went on a postdoc to the Bunting Institute, which is the only thing that Radcliffe College still owns. Everything else is now Harvard. Mm -hmm. And um, I was writing a book on the Supreme Court. And then when when that was finished... I said, I'm never going back to 18-year-olds at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Life is too short because I have spent 10 years with 18-year-olds at 8 o'clock in the morning. Ooh. And A, they're not awake. I would say, B, do they even nice. show up? Yeah. They show up, but they are not nice. They are gnarly <laughs> and tired and hungover. And they don't understand why they give a damn about what goes on in Washington. They right. live in New York. That's the center of the universe. And could I please go home? So, oh, no, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I looked around and I said, well, I'll be a consultant for a while. So I was. I I wrote speeches for all of my friends who were college presidents and stuff like that. And then I said to myself, you are really an idiot. You are a divorced mother with two young boys and no health insurance. So I sent out a a request to all of my clients and I said, someone needs to hire me. I need health insurance. Uh That's what I said. And I got hired by the marketing department of an accounting firm. That's amazing. And after 10 years in accounting firms, I rose to from newsletter editor to um, director of marketing at Richard Eisner and before it wow. became Eisner and Amper. And um, after that, I said, I should go into law because I can't count, but I understand law. <laughs> into law school, I have a degree in comparative law and they pay more. And so Amen. I moved over and I never left. Wow. That's amazing. I love working with lawyers. 
That's amazing. It's always such a wild story how people I, th- yes, you know, get yes. into it. It's just amazing. That's why I love asking. Um, just so you know, Brad is similar at 8 a.m. to those college students <laughs> you worked with. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am not a morning person for sure. Uh, but well, I'm more eat, of a eat quiet. a muffin. You'll be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need some caffeine in you the morning. You want a muffin? I'll take it. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. Um, so I guess we can go ahead and jump into the books because I definitely want to hear more a little bit. So today we're actually going to talk about one of your books, Build Your Practice a Logical Way, Maximize Your Client Relationships. Um, so before we dive in, Carol, do you just want to give us some background on the book and kind of what really inspired 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 you to to write it? You have inspired? Inspired. I know. It's almost Halloween, guys, right? No. no? Fall? Oh, it's getting there. We're getting to fall. Okay. <laughs> You can look forward to it. That's Thank right. you. Appreciate it. Okay. So I was just noticing in working with my clients that they all were focused on themselves, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of bizarre since they don't make money that way. They make money by focusing on their clients. And um, so I would do programs and things to try and share my point of view and why it was relevant. Mm-hmm. And then I was I was on an airplane coming home from a, an ABA conference and the middle seat was empty. Uh, I, I'm short and um, I'm only five feet tall. Oh. And um, so, and I'm kind of little, so I don't like big expansive people in the middle, right? So I see this woman come down the aisle and she's really pretty and she's thin. And I say to her, and we're like on the third row, you want to sit here? And she says, yes. And she sits down. So we start talking, blah, 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 blah. It turns out that she's the editor for one of the sections of the ABA. Oh, wow. And I tell her about this idea for a book. And fast forward 18 months later, there it is. That's wow. crazy. Small world. That's called networking with the person next to you. Yeah, I was going to say, that's our first lesson here. Talk to people. Yes. <laughs> Um, we actually do. And I love this. I'm really glad that we're talking about this today because we do a lot of thought leadership with um, Sarah Rattan Bates. She's actually our head of legal ops and training. And she is all about a client centric approach. And some of the stuff she talks about, it's so it seems so simple and so obvious. But like you said earlier, it's something that's so frequently overlooked in this industry. But it's so important. You know what? If you have a happy client, you're probably going to get paid quicker. You're going to get paid more in full. They're going to refer you to their friends and it's just going to be a a better process from start to finish. So I'm glad, I'm glad you wrote this book and we're talking about it today. Thanks. So from the book perspective, um, you know, you said 18 months later, boom, there's the book, right? So there has to have been along the way, did you, like you had said in the past, did you reach out to other attorneys? Did you uh, kind of put real life examples in the book? Just tell us a little bit more about like what's in the book. And for both books, I, I put together people to talk to who I thought were good at what it is. So mm-hmm. three dozen in the, in the networking book and two dozen in the build your, your business the logical way. And um, so and then I would put their stories in about why why they liked it, why they did it, why they do it. But I broke it down into things like communicating with clients, changing the processes of your firm, understanding your client. I think the biggest mistake that lawyers make, and it's probably a question that comes up later, but I'll answer it now. <laughs> Go ahead. I think it's really important. It's foreshadowing. You have to understand the whole client. Most lawyers think if they understand the part that has to do with the matter, that's fine. 
but that's not fine. If you don't understand your whole client, you don't know whether you're dealing with a mosquito or a dinosaur Mm. or a lion, right? Mm -hmm. It, It could be a teeny little thing for them, but it looks big to you. It could be a really big thing for them, but it looks teeny to you. It could affect everything in their past and whether they're going to have a reputation left over when it's over, or it could be everything to do with their future. But if you don't know who they serve, what they do, where they're going, how large they are, uh, their geographic footprint, what they believe in, their trends, what they do for knowledge, all of those things, you can't be a good lawyer for them. Mm -hmm. You'll just be a technician. Oh, we're writing a contract for a new employee. Fill in the blank. No. Mm -hmm. Why did they hire them? What is that person going to do? How is it going to change the firm? Yeah. Why? So all of these things are really important. And most lawyers never take the time to do a 360 of their clients to really understand their whole world. Yeah. And I think it really goes both ways too. You know, something we talked about in the past is your client comes in for a consultation or, you know, they've they've been around for a while. You've had a couple meetings with them. You know, their kids started school last month. Ask how the first day of school was. Um, but on the flip side too, you as the lawyer, be open. You know, let them know, let your client know that you're a real person. If you have kids that just started school, you know, hey, you know, great week. My son started school. He's in first grade, blah, blah, blah. How's your kid? You know, takes three minutes get it out of the way. Um, but the client feels more appreciated. And then you as an attorney too, you're, you're making yourself more of a, a real person. You're not just there to, to get some money and win a case, you know, exactly. exactly. Right. So what are your thoughts, Carol? Um, obviously this book is around building your firm to be more, more client centric. So talk about that a little bit. Why, why is it important to build your firm around the clients instead of just your employees? Well, first of all, in the 21st century, post-COVID, clients are on a rampage. Mm -hmm. They want to be in charge. They want lawyers to work like any other business. They want to know what's going on. They want to be valued for what they know. They want to know what it's going to cost. They They want to be there. And by the way, they want you friendly. Or even if you answer your phone, if you don't answer the phone, you're at a disadvantage immediately. Yeah. And what about responsiveness? Their idea of responsiveness is 20 minutes. Your idea of responsiveness is 24 hours. So someplace in the middle, you got to kind of get there. But if you align your firm with their expectations, right away, you're more likely to be hired. You're more likely to have a client that's comfortable. When a client is comfortable, they're more likely to be happy, but they're also more likely to be on your side. Mm -hmm. So when you involve a client, when you treat them with respect- As a partner- yeah, as a partner, exactly. Because even if it's the most 1950s housewife who's never gotten to go anywhere, doesn't really keep up with a lot of things, is stuck with five kids and raising them and doing a fabulous, being a fabulous mother, and they're getting a divorce, that woman knows more about her world and what the issues are than you, the lawyer, will ever know. And the only way that you're going to find out what you need to know to do a really good job is to treat them as an equal. She may not know law, but she sure knows life and what has gotten her to this point. And she may forget to tell you things if you don't treat her that way. Right. So I've seen worked with um, divorce lawyers who go, oh, my God, I just found out that the grandmother is paying for the kid's Mm. school. 
Well, that sure changes some finance yeah. equation, right? I never thought yeah. of it. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. You never, the, the woman never said it because yeah. no one ever asked her who paid for school. Yeah. And it was just when someone was going through it and said, well, you have three kids, you know, four yeah. kids, whatever. Yeah. Where do they go to school? That it came out. But if you had been treating them as an equal, uh, they would have probably been more forthcoming mm-hmm. instead of just waiting to answer what you say. So it's it's really important. And some of the things you can do are just so easy. It's just mind boggling. For instance, you could start your day once a week at eight o'clock in the morning. Because why be like a dentist where you have to take time off from work to have your teeth cleaned, right? Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Dentists should be open an hour earlier so that you can fight to get there before you have to go to work. Yeah, right. that's a good point. You I only like a little late, you know or any kind of those procedures. That's just insane. And lawyers do that. They say, well, come in from two to three. Excuse me. I work for a living. Two uh-huh. to three is not <laughs> Lunch hour, and I have to be back. So we have 20 minutes, right? In the old days, or now we can Zoom for most of the time. But still, it's, no, it's impossible. Or do you sit behind your desk? Mm-hmm. When you sit behind your desk, you've created a power, a power relationship in which you are they powerful? Now, how does the client feel? And the client is paying you. The client should be powerful. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a sitting area. Yeah. And you also so have that, that barrier can... between the two exactly. of you. Well, yeah. And that's power. That's the power barrier. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like, you know, got to treat them as an equal. I think a lot of times, you know, from an attorney perspective, they have a higher sense of themselves in some cases. Um, but really taking the time and understanding the client will allow you to better serve that client, treat them as an equal. I, I really like that. That that comes to another point that I think uh, you made in your book about a difference between do you be, you know, do they pay you hourly or do they pay you for the project? And what are your thoughts on that? I think that the only bespoke industry besides us is Savile Road Tailors. <laughs> where you have no idea what the suit's going to cost, but you sure do like the fact. <laughs> and you want to look slim and gorgeous and, uh-huh. and all the rest. So they don't expect that. They don't want it. And as technology comes along and makes it faster and more efficient to do the grunt work, the, the writing of the contract and changing you know, Section 8 to Section Z or whatever, as that gets faster and faster, if you don't sell on knowledge, you don't make any money because that's why that's why lawyers a lot don't want to really do some of this technology because they see it as not giving them as many hours mm-hmm. when really it frees them up to get more clients because they could do yeah. more marketing. They could go home to watch their kids little league game. They could do a thousand other things. They don't have to sit there recreating the wheel every time. Right. Exactly. But if you're used to making money from recreating the wheel, you're very uncomfortable doing that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, really? Well, if I can't start with a piece of clay, this pot's not going to make enough money for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes, it is if you sell your value. 
And like you said, with the billable hours and freeing up your time, I mean, obviously we sell software here, but but that's it. There is that hurdle because it's something new for people. You know, they don't want to take the time to adapt and learn. But at the end of the day, you start using technology in your practice, whether it's for practice management, e-discovery, litigation, whatever it is. And it streamlines everything so much. Your, your tedious tasks like timekeeping that you have to do every day become so much easier and so much faster. So you can spend more time with the client and capture more billable hours. Or if you want, you can go home early and go to your child's soccer game, like you said. Or you can go networking and get more clients. Exactly, exactly. The opportunities are endless, right? right? Uh, you had mentioned, you had mentioned. <laughs> and people think, you know, so what they say, particularly, I'm sorry, Brad, is. That's okay. Uh, is what they say if you're say you're a litigator. They say, well, but I don't know what's going to happen. I don't I don't know what the other side's going to bring in that's going to put, put a monkey in it. So it's as if they're enemies. But if they're collaborators, then you build into it. You say early case assessment, and you have a fixed fee. Mm-hmm. Um, depositions, you have a fixed fee. And then you say to them at the end of that, when we see what the other side is presenting, and we see where we are. And when we're about to negotiate or litigate or whatever the next action step is, then let's sit there and talk about it. And we may have to, depending on what we have to do, increase the amount. Mm -hmm. And they sign off on that. So it's a win-win. Or um, some of my friends who work in alternative fee firms where all they do is get alternative fees, as we call non-billable hour fees, um, is they get a success um, bonus. And the success bonus is equal sometimes to half the money they save them or a percentage of the money they can expect from securing the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So like they're making all their money at the end, but they are making a potload of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they earned it too. And they did. And clients love it. And they come back for more and more and more. <laughs> because they understand it from the get-go. Yeah. You know, you have that oh, yeah. clear understanding and expectations. It's right. important. That's a big part of it, too, the communication. And they don't mind doing a success fee because they're in it together to win. Right. Yeah. That's what they want is a success. Yeah. If so I lose, I don't want to pay it. you, but I'll pay you some if I win, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but, you know, sometimes um, bringing diminishing a loss is the win. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were supposed to pay $50 million. I got you down to five. Yeah. I'd be happy. You know. Very true. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. So, but the law firm will too, because they're going to get a percentage of the difference between 50 and five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. So, yeah. It, it, but it requires a trust relationship. And if you don't value your clients, they're not going to have one. Yeah. Right. So, looking at this from, from a, client perspective. We talked a lot about what attorneys can do to um, enhance a relationship with their clients and to really focus on their clients. But looking at the client side, how does a client determine value when they're working with an attorney on on whatever case? What is it they're looking for? The dirty little secret of value is that they, that's determined by the recipient always, right? Uh Uh-huh. So lawyers hate to think about that. Yeah. Because the main thing that they need, they can't control at all, really, they think. But, of course, they can because they can set it up so that they create value. So the value for clients is usually outcome-focused. What are the results going to be? But nowadays, it, since COVID and since people have been home and watching everything, it's also what's the work process? What's the transparency? Can I see 
what you're doing? Can I follow your thoughts and find out why you made that decision while there's still a chance to discuss it? Can I be involved in all of this? Are you taking me seriously? And so the value is a very emotional thing. It, it has an emotional basis, as do most of the major things in our lives that we decide. Mm-hmm. And then they put a rational layer on top. It's sort of like a cupcake, right? <laughs> the icing is rationality. But the cupcake is what did your what was your emotional relationship to this issue, decision, person, whatever. And so if you have a client-centric firm and you're focused on making your clients comfortable on being likable, authentic, and trustworthy yourself instead of putting them down. I mean, in, in my time working with lawyers, I have worked with some tyrants. And they're no different <laughs> with me than they are with their clients. And you just go and you wonder, really? And they they have some wife at home who's putting up with this. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, it's just amazing. So basically, if you want to build a loyal client base, you have to have value. So my my definition of value in the book is that quality is a combination of service and results. And if you add to that value over the time of working with the lawyer, you'll get a loyalty level. And once you get a loyalty level, as you said at the beginning, Lauren, you're safe. Mm-hmm. You're sound. You're going to go on forever and be happy and rich. I love that. You know, one of the things that Sarah had mentioned to me in the past, you'd mentioned her earlier, Lauren, um, was when we were talking about a client-centric approach, uh, attorneys would ask her, um, how long do I need to spend to get to know the client? Is it five minutes? Is it two <laughs> minutes? Is it one minute? And it just cracks me up because they're thinking, you know, back to that hourly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, I agree with yeah, you, yeah. but uh, is uh, one minute enough? Seven, seven, is <laughs> one minute enough? How many, how long? So I'm most curious in uh, what kind of questions do you get when thinking about, you know, a client-centric approach or this book that just kind of blew your hair back and was like, what, why are they asking this? They just don't get it. Or, you know, just maybe some of the questions that people usually ask you about this book and, and kind of challenging it. This could be good. I know. I'm, I'm curious. Well, um, the first thing is, is why bother, which is what you were kind of implying. And the answer is, is that if you have a client that you don't like working with, that you wish you could fire, that is um, not fulfilling their part of the bargain, which is to tell you everything they know that's relevant, keep you up to date, et cetera, pay your bills. You're not happy. And if you're not happy, you do a lousy job and pretty soon you don't want to do that work. And pretty soon you're thinking of other things to do. And so for a person, particularly post-COVID, where we have enough stress already and where the environment changes every day, we don't need to be working with a client where there's a negative experience about it. It's It's just something that, why would we want to do that? Right. Mm -hmm. But if they change it just a little bit. So if you, so I have a granddaughter who's going to college this year for the first time and she's going to Harvard. I'm very proud of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's she's just an amazing um, person. And so um, there's two kinds of, of schools. There's schools that reward faculty for writing and research. Mm-hmm. Harvard's one of them. There's schools that reward faculty for teaching, Princeton and Yale. So when you're planning to go to school, you need to be asking as a student, what's the culture? When you're going to be a client, you need to be asking, what's the culture? 
Mm-hmm. How do they, are they going to value having me as a client? Is this the kind of work the person I pick wants to do? Do they see value in it? Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, it's, it's not going to happen. So it's very important in order to create a positive work experience on both sides that you value the client. That's a great point. You know, and it starts with your intake. It really does. So that three-minute rule ain't going to work. Right. And so then the next question I get is, well, can I charge for it? (laughs) Yes. Can I charge for intake? Oh, gosh. And what I say is, not for the first hour. You can say to them, you know, I want to get to know you. And so our first hour together will be a complimentary. Mm-hmm. But um, if it you know, goes on longer, I'm afraid I'm going to have to charge you at my hourly rate. Yeah. So they know. Yeah. So they can decide how much they want to say about it. Because basically, you need to give them time so that the two of you can get to know each other. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this isn't speed dating. <laughs> because the person, whether they're business or, or individual, personal, they are asking you to fix something they cannot fix themselves. They are trusting another human being with something that's going to make or break their life, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the most tremendously important parts of their life. It's going to consume them. It's why accident victims don't go to court. They don't want to live it for three years. They mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. put it past them. And so they don't. And you are saying to someone, I need you to invest your time, your money, and your emotion. In this for as long as it takes. You better be nice. You better understand them. You right. better be working with them. You're in there at a crux of their life. And if you don't value that, and the same is true with business people. You know, some business people, if they lose that case, they're going to get canned. Well, hell, you know, that's kind of important. Yeah. You need to value that. Yeah. So. So the whole the whole point of this episode is obviously uh, focusing on the client. And we all know it's something that's not too common in this industry yet. It's missing. And you mentioned something about working with difficult clients and how that can make you as a lawyer really not as, as focused and driven and dedicated to manage that case. But that, that made me think about the fact that you have clients coming in on a, a daily basis that are just, they're different people. You know, they, they communicate differently. They have different preferences. They have different definitions of what value is to them, like you mentioned earlier. So for you as an attorney to adopt this new approach to managing your cases that is client focused, how on top of that do you also learn to deal with the fact that these people are all so different and you need to find a way to really speak to them all regardless of of who they are as a person. It's almost taking it another step further, um, but it's not difficult, right? No. Well, one of the things is I believe that everybody should have a core practice, that no matter what they do, there should be a certain kind of client that they prefer to work with and that they try and find and that that's what they bring in. So those clients, they're going to know the 360 of their world in general. So if you deal with um, franchise businesses, right away, there's a common franchise world, right? There's common things to know. There's common things they do. There's common problems coming up, coming down. So you know their world. And then you need to have the specifics of what they do. But so you know that. So you come in at a higher level than if you were, 
you know, just getting anybody off the street for anything. And so in a way, you can form your own practice by focusing on what you want and what you enjoy and what you want to learn more about. And so that helps you to get there. But then you're absolutely right. You have to know their differences. And that's what that intake meeting is for. It's to find out what they think. So one of the surveys about client satisfaction asked general counsel if they were asked at the beginning of a a matter what their definition of a success is. And only 18% said they were asked. Mm -hmm. Now, us doesn't that mean, I mean, that seems so basic, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. If you don't understand where I want to go, how are you going to get me there? Right. And they all say that if someone would only please ask them that question, <laughs> they could avoid so many dead ends, do so many, you know, not do things that don't matter to the client and then do things that do. Yeah. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine being a consultant and not asking in the first meeting how will you define success if you work with me? Yeah. It seems so, bizarre that that's even a thing, right? right? Just a lot of wasted time. Yeah. I mean, you will mm-hmm. know which direction to go. I actually had a, an old job that I had. Um, they actually said we should start all meetings in a similar way. So you start the meeting. The goal of today's meeting, a.k.a., you know, what defines right. success for this meeting is to do this. So start your meetings that way and then go into the actual whatever it is Absolutely. you're meeting about. Yeah. Lunch. That's what I usually define as a successful meeting. No, and that is true. Free lunch, free lunch, and, and dessert. Of course, dessert. Why course. eat if you don't get ice it's cream? It's not right. worth it if you right. don't have dessert. I like that you're clear on your expectations. Not just dessert, ice cream. Ice cream. Oh yes, ice cream it has to be ice cream. <laughs> My children laugh when I had a birthday. The dessert for the for the whole family gathering was make your own Sunday. <gasps> I love it. I love that too. One year I had, and there was no cake. Was, oh no, I mean, they said, "Why bother with the cake? She only wants the ice cream." Cake so is overrated. <laughs> you know, if I if I had to choose, I will go for a good cookie cake all the time. But ice cream bar is amazing because literally the the toppings are endless. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so I really like, you know, how you were thinking from a client-centric perspective. The Everything ties together with building the brand of the person, build, uh, understanding the brand of the law firm, the culture of the law firm, building your brand, building that trust, equals, partnerships. All of those things make sense. They're so... I don't want to say basic concepts, but they're easy to understand, but just so hard to do. So do yes. you have some... Uh, here's where I can start. Just start doing this. Just uh, start with this simple way. And I know we had said that with ask what what does success look like, but do you have any other advice for the attorneys out there that agree with this but just don't know how to start it? Yeah, the first thing they can do is they can say to the client, how do you want to be communicated with? You've got a phone, you've got a laptop, you've got a computer, you've got a house, phone maybe. How do you want to be communicated with? So suppose it's an executive being severed by the company. They don't want you calling the office. Right. They don't want you sending it to the office computer. They want you sending something to their private Apple phone, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know that, you can really mess them and yourself up. But by asking them how they want to be communicated with, number one, you get a chance to tell them how you want to be communicated with. Number two, you make them feel equal. Because you're talking about something really important to them, which is how are we setting the boundaries of this whole kind of thing? Second thing is, is the leadership of the firm has to want it. 
they have to set standards for everybody in the firm, from the receptionist to themselves, to the managing partner, on what they mean by client service. What does it look like in practice? And there's a lot of material out there on that. They can take whatever they want. They can go to the ACC, the um, Association of Corporate Counsel. They have a huge section on value and ways of measuring it and everything else. So they don't even have to invent it. They can take the part that they like and they can do that. The third thing and the most important thing in a firm is they have to reward it. You people do what they're rewarded for. Mm -hmm. And the reward can be money. But more importantly, people work for recognition. So suppose they have an internal newsletter and they say kudos to Charlie for working with the ABC company and um, they've now rehired us to do X, Y, and Z. And everybody knows that. And Charlie feels great for the day, right? Seriously. <laughs> right. Of right. course no, he I does, like you know? And and that's really important. So you can you can do those kinds of things. And and then have things you can do together. Create collaboration opportunities with the client and within the firm. So if you're doing an, um, a corporate transaction for the client, but you know that they need a partnership agreement, bring in the person who's your partnership specialist. Introduce them ahead of time before you want them to do work. So same kind of thing. You know, we no longer get married to people that we've never met. That was two centuries ago. So same kind of thing. Don't say, well, now you need a partnership agreement and Susan will do it for you, but he's never met Susan. Because <laughs> you know what that client's going to say? No. Right. Mm-hmm. But if they've met them, they see how they they work. They see that they understand them. They're going to say, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Love I it. like that. It's, it's so important, uh, regardless of whether it's a law firm or just a company, rewarding for your culture is such an important lesson. And a lot of people miss that. If your culture is closing tickets, then people are going to close a lot of tickets. If your culture is to increase customer satisfaction, then reward based on customer satisfaction, not the number of tickets. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. all based upon what you reward. Yeah, it's, it's so important. Relative. And also they should reward them for taking time during the day to go to the client's office, to ask the client if they're a manufacturer, if they can see one of their facilities and see how the assembly line works to get to know them, to say to them, look, would you like to write an article in our newsletter that goes to our clients? Right. Can we go together to your trade show so I can learn more about the industry? These are things that lawyers need to be paid for, just like any professional, because if you don't understand their world, that's why I left accounting. I didn't understand accounting. (laughs) I knew how to sell it, but I didn't understand it. But I, I studied comparative law. I went to law school while I was on my postdoc. Mm. I've written about it. I've been in that world for 25 years. I understand it from a different point of view, perhaps, but I understand it. And so I'm very comfortable telling them what they can and can't do. No, yes, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah, and it's it's almost, it's, 
the stuff that we talked about today, it's easy. You know, I think you provided amazing insight, but it's nothing that is asking too much of someone that it's new to. You know what I mean? They can easily, our listeners can easy, easily, excuse me, take what you said today and put it into practice yeah, today, anybody tomorrow. Can anybody can do it. Like, yeah, that's another thing too. It it makes sense regardless of the industry you're in or even on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? I you need to someone to do it. Exactly, exactly. And understand the benefits. I think- you do it once and you see what it brings back to you. And then you're like, man, that was easy. Amazing. Made a huge difference. This is yep. who I am moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so Carol, anything else that we need to touch on? Um, like I said, I think we had some amazing facts and tips from you today, but is there anything else you really want to dive into on this episode? No, I think people just have to do that 180 and say, I want to enjoy what I do. I want to work with people that I understand and that I like. (laughs) And in order to do that, I have to change my thinking to include my client's world. Yeah. Love it. Bring it in. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today, Carol. It was a pleasure having you on. Hopefully you'll come back again sometime. We have three more books to to talk about, right? Okay. (laughs) I'd love to. Perfect. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Lex Factor, and we'll talk to you next time. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.